it wasn't like a one-time thing. It wasn't like one guy behind us was yeah. like, yo, fuck MGK. It was like, <laughs> like it was like, okay, it probably happened a dozen times throughout the yeah. night. And every time it was almost like a call and response. Somebody would be like, yo, fuck MGK. And then another person over here would be like, man, fuck MGK, for real. <laughs> I even said, I even turned around and said, man, fuck MGK. Because <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. that I never knew as a kid I always thought like it was just some kind of funny thing that they had this person who was like you know seeing whatever mark but it's all for the editor and part of the reason one of the things they have on the clapper is a like a color uh, spectrum or I can't remember what it's, it's basically all the you know primary colors and so it's basically yeah, it's like a color bar a set of color yeah. bars well, the, the color bar the whole point is for them to be able to match up the color and say like this is a standardized you know set of colors and then it's for audio sync. I feel like there's another purpose of it. I thought it was so you could figure out, it was like, I for real thought the only reason they did that was so they could remember what take was which. Well, th they do. And then one thing I think is kind of silly is that they also put the the director and like the cinematographer on it. And I'm like, but that's going to stay the same the entire time. So what's the point of, I, th I think it's kind of an ego thing, honestly, to be like, well, my name's on the clapper. And so like, I'm right. It's like, I have a director's chair and my name's on the clapper. Yeah. So yeah. Y'all chill out. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah that was one of those things that I never knew as a kid and when I learned it as an adult and worked on a couple of like indie sets it was kind of um, it was a big uh, I was like that makes a lot of sense but um, the way you get around that when you don't have the money for a slate is what they call it is you just clap your hands and it's a very <laughs> staccato way of being able to sync things up which is nice sweet but anyway, um, I'm here with my friend Jojo Markell today, and uh, last night we went to our first Slipknot concert. And I say, I mean, it, it's probably not going to be, we're probably not going to go again necessarily, but um, not that we didn't enjoy it, but it, it, was, uh, it was an interesting experience, and I think I got everything I kind of needed from it, because I've only been a Slipknot fan for a few months now, and it kind of... Um, you know, they played all the songs I wanted to hear, and they put on a really, really good show, so I kind of felt a little bit like, all right, that's what I needed to see. How did you... I mean, yeah, I, I feel pretty much the exact same way. Like, I'm not a huge, like, Slipknot fan, per se. Like, I'm not a knothead. I don't own yeah. all the albums. I pretty much listened to, from what I can remember, like, the second and third albums as a kid yeah. when I was, like, 12 or 13 or something on a CD player, Yeah, if that tells you anything. And I liked, you know maybe a third of the songs and I thought they were pretty cool and I was I was I wasn't ever really into metal or anything like that so it was kind of weird for me to like be into it yeah and then like fast forward to now I don't know 20 years later or something yeah it's been a while well I guess when I was 11 I don't know like 15 years later we're going to the Slipknot concert and I haven't listened to them since I was a kid but they still played a bunch of songs that I knew and understood like it was pretty fun dude it was, it was a good concert it was like it was like a minor league baseball game but with Slipknot instead of the baseball game yeah <laughs> I made a fool of myself during Duality because I totally forgot that at the end, it's like one of the most popular songs and, you know, everybody was like singing along with it and I didn't sing along to a lot of the songs, but when that one came on, I was like, oh, this is like a classic, you know, hit. And there's just one part near the end where uh, the during, it's like the chorus is like ramping up and then it's like, it kind of changes because normally they sing it like a certain way where like the next word comes immediately, but then and during this part, he like holds out the word before and then it comes like a few seconds later and I felt 
kind of stupid because all these people were like, like I was screaming the wrong lyrics is my point. And I was like, <laughs> oh man, damn it. This, this, I, I feel, but I mean, honestly, the cool thing to me was, uh, Going to a show like Slipknot, it's kind of like going to see like Fish or the Grateful Dead, and and not in terms of like the fans are they they look and are a bit different, but at the same time, people know things about that fan base or they know rumors and things like that. Like I, I've met a lot of people over the years who have judged when I say I like Fish because they're like, well, I've been I've seen the the fans when they come to town, and I don't like them, or you know, or they know someone from college who was a big Fish fan. That's how I was about Slipknot for a while because I had a few people in like high school that were Slipknot fans that I wasn't really that fond of. And so it kind of like, I just kind of wrote them off. And then actually I heard Corey Taylor on a podcast uh, a few months ago and kind of like, I didn't know anything about him and learning more about him and who he was, it was kind of weird because he didn't seem like the person I thought, you know, like like I'm used to only the mildly impression of like metal singers being like them being on stage being like, Hey everybody, you know, like how's everyone doing tonight and, and really playing the part. So it's kind of interesting when you see them, the more human side of them. And he even kind of during the show last night brought up some of his like political beliefs, not in like a, it wasn't specific about his political Yeah. Beliefs. It was really cool though, because it, it was very much so like, Hey, everybody here needs to be, you know, unified under the fact that we all like the same music. Like it's not, we, it doesn't matter if you're this or that. However, you know, on his like social media and all that, he definitely does, you know, talk about how he's like pro vaccine and he's very like, they, they seem to be a pretty like progressive band, but I think that they, in the metal community, you kind of have to be a little careful about being like too left or too right. Cause then people, you get the wrong kind of fans, you know? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I know exactly what you mean. You don't want to end up with, like, extremes in your fan base that are, yeah. like, represented a whole lot. That's, that just doesn't look good for anybody. Yeah. But, like, dude, I thought that Corey Taylor was... Corey Taylor's getting kind of a weird highlight right now because, unfortunately, um, the whole thing with MGK, which we're going to talk about. <laughs> we're definitely going to talk about that, Peter, because yeah. that was funny. Yeah, that was hilarious. But, like, because of all this business with MGK, which, if you didn't know, MGK had a misunderstanding with Corey Taylor and Corey Taylor was going to do some vocals on a song and then he decided not to be on it and MGK thought he ditched him. And so randomly, Corey Taylor's like been in the news kind of lately. And I guess I just never really thought about the guy, but he's a great, like, he's a great front man. He seems like pretty reasonable. He doesn't seem extreme at all. Like in yeah. a weird way, even though he was like the dude leading the metal concert, yeah. he seemed kind of like nice. Oh, for sure. Well, <laughs> and, and, he, and he comes off like that, like in interviews too. Um, and, uh, yeah, the, uh, I guess we can go ahead and address the MGK thing because it was hilarious. Oh, yeah, because, that was, like, the funniest thing all night, dude. So, uh, like JoJo said, MGK and Corey Taylor have, like, an online social media beef that a lot of other metal fans have made fun of, even, because, like, people who are into more brutal death metal, black metal, things like that, they make fun of it because they're like, you guys, they don't think either of their music is good. But um, <laughs> I particularly don't like MGK because I just have never really enjoyed anything that he's like put out and he just kind of comes off he has a lot of beefs like he has a beef with like conor mcgregor and and anytime someone starts a bunch of beef i'm like or or they're involved in a bunch of beef i'm like you're the one starting this he's but, messy dude yeah but last night at the concert there were a lot of guys around us who would start randomly chanting fuck mgk and it was so <laughs> funny because because we just started laughing and we were like i didn't even really I, you would think that the slipknot fans would just be like 
you know, chanting lyrics from a song or like, you know, yelling out stuff about the band or like being yelling the names of the band members, but instead they're focused on like how much they hate MGK for coming after <laughs> Corey Taylor and the beef. And I, and I don't really understand why they care so much, but it wasn't like a one-time thing. It wasn't like one guy behind us was yeah. like, yo, fuck MGK. It was like, <laughs> like it was like, okay, it probably happened a dozen times throughout the yeah. night. And every time it was almost like a call and response. Somebody would be like, yo, fuck MGK. And then another person over here would be like, Man, fuck MGK for real. <laughs> I even said, I even turned around and said, man, fuck MGK. Because I thought it was hilarious. Yeah, no, it was great. I, I think I was like, I wanted to yell, and then I was like, <laughs> I'm a little hesitant because there's going to be that one weird person here who's like, man, I love MGK, and uh, and I don't really want to step on anyone's toes. But, you know, at the same time, <laughs> I, I, was, I, I wanted to yell that out. But, yeah, kind of going back to what we were saying, our, I think you can probably agree with this. Whenever, you know, I told people that I knew I was going to a Slipknot concert or um, uh, kind of just like in general saw what people thought online of like Slipknot as a band, there was a lot, like there's a lot of things that go through your head and you're like, I think this is what the concert is going to be like. But the crowd was very uh, eclectic. It was like there were, like we saw, you know, like 10 year old kids there with their dad. And when we saw... Um, I mean, there were a lot of people even wearing just, like, Braves shirts because there was a Braves game going on. And so it's not like... I think you have this idea in your head when you go to a show like that, well, their music is so dark and so, you know, heavy that it's going to be... Um, it's going to be, like, those are what the fans are going to be like. But it really wasn't like that. Yeah, I totally agree. Like, the... I'd say, like, the main demographic that we were kind of in and out of because we weren't in, like, the mosh pit. We were sort of, like, in the nosebleeds yeah. sitting in, like, a grass field and stuff. So there, there was, like, tons of people around, but I'd say most of the people we were around were, like, family units, kind of. Yeah, yeah. Like, it would be, like, an um, older mom, older dad, and, like, a much younger kid. So I don't know if, like, their parents were into it or they were just coming because mm -hmm. they maybe had a kid who was into it or something. But there was a lot of different kinds of people. And there was also, like, sort of, like, a baseline level of respect around the... Oh, yeah. Around the concert. So, like, you know what I'm saying? People were, like, yelling, fuck MGK. But I don't think anybody had a problem with any of it. Yeah. Which was, like, pretty cool, too. Like, it was very... Some controlled chaos, which I wasn't expecting. Yeah. I thought it was going to be grimier, dude. For sure. Well, because whenever... So, like, Corey Taylor on... I've heard him in an interview talk about shows, like, 15 or 20 years ago. And he made it sound... I mean, I think he said something along the lines of, like, they would have songs where he would be pouring, like, lighter fluid onto Clown... Or, no, Clown would be pouring lighter fluid onto him and, like, lighting him on fire. And I'm like, wait, 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 hold on. <laughs> Y'all were able to do that? Like, it must have been on a much smaller scale because, I mean, if we didn't... I mean, we kind of already mentioned this, maybe. We saw them at Ameris Bank Amphitheater in Alpharetta, which is a huge venue with thousands of... You can have thousands of people in there. So I feel like back in the day, they were probably playing on much... They were big, but they were probably playing smaller amphitheaters or smaller outdoor venues... The cool thing was, I mean, the thing is, they were still chaotic, not chaotic, but they were still, like, very interesting to watch on stage in terms of, like, the antics, because there's, like, nine or ten people on stage, and they're on different levels. Like, their set right now mm -hmm. is really cool, where they have, like, two screens above them on the stage, kind of, like, facing the audience still, and then they also have, like, a screen kind of, like, as part of the stage, and different members of the band. It, it, it reminded me of a hip-hop show, honestly. Because there was different members of the band that would kind of like not be playing in certain songs. So they would be near the crowd, kind of like hyping people up. And then there would be people, uh, the one guy, the guitar player who had the flamethrower on his guitar. Yeah, dude. And he, he, I don't even think he was really playing the song. I think he was just kind of like, like doing it for the effect. But there was like a lot of pyrotechnics. There were, uh, the lighting, the light show was awesome. There was like 
a lot of really cool visuals. Like yeah, um, the the production value for not I guess Slipknot was probably the highest because they were like the headliner. Yeah. But the production value for the lights and sound and stuff in general was like great. Oh yeah. Like that wasn't grimy at all. No, which like. Yeah, it's, and, and like you said, like the the visual presentation was cool because I was expecting it to be a lot darker and like bloodier or like gorier. It or was something. actually pretty psychedelic. Like it like, was very psychedelic, dude. Like most of it was sort of like uh, they had a lot of different screens, so they could uh, orient them in different ways to like show different things. Like they had these two sets of timpanis yeah. on the side in the mid layer oh, where man, they could like awesome. project things off of them. So like these clowns, right, are playing. Uh, or not the clowns, but like clown and like this other guy. And I don't Slipknot. know who the other guy is. I can't remember. They're they're playing like metal drums and like timpanis and stuff on this mid layer, but they can also project like eyes out of them. So they made the stage look like a face several yeah. times, which was pretty tight. Like it was, it was good, man. It was not what I was expecting. Well, and then like um, they still did some stuff that I mean, it's like dangerous fire work. Like uh, at one point near the end, clown, someone handed him like a big basically like torch that was like it was on fire and he had like a keg that was you know suspended from the ceiling and he was like hitting it on on a certain note for i think it was during duality because that has like these really distinctive like keg hits or anvil hits um and uh yeah i mean the just the whole like stage show was pretty pretty awesome like they obviously have it pretty well tuned these days i wanted to bring this up to you um i find this really really interesting just because i'm always kind of fascinated by um, families of musicians. So uh, the drummer, the main like drum set player for Slipknot right now, uh, his name is Jay Weinberg, and he's actually not that much older than us. He's only like thirty one. Um, so which so he's obviously not an original drummer for them, like because they're all late forties, early fifties now. The original members didn't there. I might be thinking of a different band, but or interrupting their original bit. drummer. Died. Their original drummer, died. dude. That's part of the reason why Slipknot's been back in the news and stuff too, and why Corey Taylor's yeah. been getting a highlight is because their drummer died, unfortunately. Yeah. And so. Well, yeah. here's the thing. He was their drummer, um, and from the '90s through, uh, I think like 2011 or 2013. And for some, I, I've read why they got rid of him. Well, I mean, got rid of him, but it, I, I don't really remember what the circumstances were. It might have been health problems or something, but. He stopped playing for them probably eight years ago, but then he died recently. So he he hasn't drummed for them in a while, but they still have a lot of respect for him and they, they still loved him. I think it was kind of a mutual decision for him to leave. So yeah, they have been in back in the news, but they're but so their drummer right now is about almost twenty years younger than most of the members of the original members of Slipknot. But he really he was amazing and um, and I thought he did a good he really paid homage to the rhythms that their their drummers of the past have put together and everything. Here's what's so cool about Jay Weinberg, though. I read this online. Um, his dad is Max Weinberg, who is the who's been the drummer for Bruce Springsteen's uh, E Street Band since the '70s. No way. And he also Max Weinberg was also the drummer um, for Conan's show. He was like the band leader for Conan's show in the '90s and like 2000s. So uh, Jay Weinberg grew up having a dad that played for Bruce Springsteen and played for Conan's band. But uh, in, in, but he plays in Slipknot. And, and here's what's so cool. I read that in like 2008 when uh, Jay Weinberg was like 18, he got to play drums for Bruce Springsteen's band because his dad was trying to do Conan and a Springsteen tour and they didn't, he was like having conflicting dates. And there were, you know, most people were like, yeah, you did a good job. Like it's pretty much, which imagine being, imagine growing up in that family though. Because that would be so cool to have that kind of influence, and then you decide, you know what, I want to do what my dad does, but in a totally different way, you know? 
I mean, it'd be great. Like, I mean, what do you think about the idea that music runs in the family? Like, do you think it's an aptitude that is like genetic at all? Um, I think it depends on, I think a lot of it depends on money, honestly, because it was a lot easier for someone like Jay Weinberg, probably with the money that his dad was making being in big bands like that uh, and doing like Conan, because that's a lot, that makes a lot of money. Uh, I mean, compared to being in like a local rock band, because that's not going to make much money. But having that kind of, I think money has a lot to do with it and just like uh, privilege, not privilege, but like things that you have that other people don't have. Like if you grew up with a dad who's like, like, for example, we've talked about this. Corey Taylor's son, uh, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but he has a band now that uh, actually with Clown's son, which is pretty cool. But um, it's not that they're not good. They're really good. Like, I think they sound great. But I always have to recognize when someone comes from, like, that kind of background, like, their dad is still selling out amphitheaters. Like, they they just had, they met all the right people at a much younger age. Because his son's, like, 19 and has a lot more, if he was 19 and a nobody, and his dad wasn't really anybody, he probably wouldn't, you know, uh, have the kind of place that he has now, the kind of viewership and that kind of thing. You know what I mean? I mean, music is like kind of weird because I feel like, <clears throat> I feel like depending on how much how much music you listen to and how, how like closely you pay attention to it, like, uh, you know, I don't think that music is necessarily like a genetic thing. There's probably something that goes on where you gotta have a certain amount of brain power to mm -hmm. be able to play music. But I think it's about like access and exposure. So like for example, uh, I'm a musician, if y'all didn't know. Yeah. But my mom used to be a professional flute player. So she has yeah. all kinds of flutes and clarinets and saxophones and like music theory books and she just has all this stuff laying around. So that was like the only reason that I was really able to like get get my feet off the ground. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And like also, it's interesting you should say that he sounds uh, Corey Taylor's son and Clown's son, their band sounds like Slipknot because, like, I think a lot of people would listen to them and they wouldn't even go there. Like, if they didn't know they were their sons, they would just think it's some other band. But, like, you and I have listened to enough music where I feel like we can kind of tell. Like, for example, the classic, like, example for me is, like, I think everybody, if you A-beat it, you'd realize that Elliot Smith loved Big Star. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, it's not even, it's like they're, like, they're trying to be one another. Yeah, they're, I call them disciples. So like maybe maybe Corey Taylor's son and Clown's son, they're uh, they're original, but they're disciples, man, of their fathers. Well, the thing is, I think what it is is that because okay, it would be a lot. It's not even that the drumming sounds like Clown's drumming. It's that it's mostly the voice. It's mostly that Corey Taylor's son, because genetically he's gonna have a voice that is going to sound a little bit like his dad's more than some random person who's not related yeah, to Corey yeah. Taylor. So I think, and also he grew up constantly like his dad was his example of metal singing of metal you know i guess to answer your question i i do think that there can be like a genetic component to it but at the same time um i i think a lot of it has to do with like the parent like actually really kind of pushing their child to do it too i mean it sounds like jay weinberg probably really enjoys being a drummer for a band like slipknot but at the same time you know like, I, kind of, I kind of am curious like to know if his dad ever wanted him to be a drummer or you know or not yeah because there's some people who don't want their kids there's a lot of i've heard a lot of actors on like podcasts and interviews kind of say that they don't want their kids involved in the entertainment industry it's probably just because they you know they see what it can do to your psyche sometimes and how it can kind of affect you negatively so they don't want that to happen to their child but so i guess i had a couple of questions for you just because 
I don't know. I just want to hear what you think about because sure. you're my yeah. homie. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah, let's go with it. So, like, we showed up to this Slipknot concert early, and we saw a band called Kill Switch Engage. Yeah. Which I'd like never, never uh, listened to them. On I knew purpose. none of their songs. I knew yeah. none of their songs. Not really. I'm sure I've heard something of theirs in like Walmart or on the radio or something. Yeah. But I was just never a fan. Never really got into them. But I thought they were, they were great. Like, if I had seen them in, like, a random bar or a club or something, I would have been like, whoa, these guys are, like, way yeah. too good to be playing in this bar. Yeah. And their their music was, like, really heavy, but also, like, strangely melodic. I just want to, like... Yeah. I, I never listen to music like that. Not, not really. I just wonder what you thought of it. So... When I was younger, I listened to a little bit of heavy music, but it was basically only whatever my older brother kind of had on his iPod. Like, I didn't really listen. So, like, I've, I had... I guess I bring that up just to say, until a couple years ago, I didn't know the nuances of metal. I, did, I, I kind of wrote a lot of it off. Like, I, I understood that there's, you know, more, like, sad, emo, heavy music, and I understood that there was more, like, serious, driving, kind of, like, you know, just kind of, like, heavy, heavy music. I, but... But like over the past few years, I have um, I've done videography and photography for some metal bands who have been all shapes and sizes, and and they all have like kind of helped me not like by directly telling me this, but they like by looking at how they describe themselves and their music. That's kind of helped me understand a little bit more about um, what what metal can be. For example, like I never knew that metalcore was something different from like hardcore or you know um black metal and death metal and i understood that like stoner metal was different you know that it's like it's more about it there's it's almost like if led zeppelin got so ridiculously heavy you know and then and, and only focused on like the the very like fantasy kind of stuff like that that's kind of what stoner metal seems to me but i think what i'm saying is it is strange when you write a lot of like screaming heavy kind of metal into the same category and then you see bands like Kill Switch Engage and then Slipknot especially on the same night because they're very different. Like Slipknot they are like totally different. Yeah. I, I, like Kill Switch Engage is much more poppy, I feel like. Yeah, oh yeah. Poppy as I well, don't know. I think it's because they had a lot of uh, melodic almost like radio like friendly choruses. choruses. Yeah. Like they would have like really heavy intros and breakdowns and all that but the actual like meat of the song was usually pretty melodic that's why yeah i mean but along with that um it's even kind of strange because like i didn't even know before that the pitch of the scream that you put into your metal uh can help like define the genre like apparently from what if i'm i might be mistaken on this but if you metalcore is more defined by like high pitch screams Whereas there are other metal fans who hate metalcore and they're like, we don't, we don't mess with high pitched screams. Everything is like low growls and things like that. That's one thing I kind of like about Slipknot is that they're a little bit hard to put into a category of saying they are this kind of metal because they have certain like they had certain songs that started and it almost sounded like a Limp Biscuit song because it was like so new metal with the scratches and everything. But then they had other songs where I was like, this sounds almost like a. It almost there were some songs. This is a weird comparison. That almost sounded like a Brendan Urie metal song. Does that make sense? Like it, yeah, it, it yeah. sounded like a, a radio friendly, you know, like metal song. And then there are other ones where it's like really grimy. I mean, if you listen, if you actually like listen to the lyrics of Slipknot songs, sometimes you're like, that's really intense, you know. And dude, yeah. I think you bring up a pretty good point there with like Slipknot. 
kind of going in and out of these different spaces, mm-hmm. right? Like in terms of their genre. So like this might be one for the fans or anybody who's listening, but me and Peter aren't metalheads. We don't go to shows. We're not really like a part of that community, yeah. so to speak. But what's really interesting to me about metal is that it's like everywhere. Like there's tons of metal bands in Atlanta and Nashville yeah. and Birmingham and just all over the place. But like they don't get the same kind of pop love, I guess, that they used to back in like the 80s and 90s. Yeah. However, even though they're not they don't have mainstream popularity. I feel like metal, the genre of metal has been able to, the, the metal verse, let's say that, the metal verse. <laughs> in the metal verse, there's all these, the, the metal verse has kind of achieved like its own insulation away from mainstream popularity. So it's like a separate thing. But even within the metal verse, there's all these little divisions that are insulated. Yeah. And Slipknot seems to like kind of pass over those where like, you know, the new metal people might not, you know, fuck around with, a certain other type of genre of metal or something more akin to like Limp Biscuit. Yeah. But because Slipknot kind of has both and they do it pretty seamlessly, I feel like they kind of connect with a lot of fans. Maybe that's why they're so popular. Have you ever thought about that? Like, why are they a well, huge metal band and these other bands are not as big? I, I think a lot of it has to do with timing because like what we just talked about, their first album came out in 1999 when new metal was all the rage. Like if you wanted to be a heavy rock band and be like popular you kind of had to have like some hip-hop stuff in there either rapping or scratches and things and like when you listen to Slipknot over the years their first album Corey Taylor did a decent amount of like rapping on songs here and there when you get past like the second album I mean honestly the first album's the only one that really has rapping on it like the second or third one kind of came out in like 2001 and like 2004 and by then new metal wasn't as popular as it was in 99 2000 so they kind of got more into, they still use some like uh, record scratches or, you know, samples, but the samples got a little more sophisticated. It was less what we'd already heard in like hip hop in the past. But like their, my favorite album of Slipknot's is their first album because when you listen to it, there's some songs that just sound very classic metal. There's some songs that sound um, very new metal. Like there's a lot of rapping. I mean, their biggest, I still think their biggest hit ever is Wait and Bleed. That's the first song I ever heard of theirs when I was like, uh, maybe like 13. And um, Yeah, that and Duality, I think, are the ones that most people know. Yeah. Well, like, I think we actually got pretty lucky on the show, too, because I think I've heard Corey Taylor say that in the past couple of years, they haven't really played Wait and Bleed at a lot of shows. I think they got tired of it, because it would be like, um, I can't think of a good comparison, but every band has like one song that everyone's like, you have to play that one. And apparently people would get mad that they didn't play Wait and Bleed at shows. And he'd be like, but I played like 20 songs. And they were all like, and actually, you know what? So last night we left before the encore. I was expecting the encore to be like a song. And I looked it up and they played like three or four songs in their encore. Yeah, I hope it wasn't like, from the second and third out, like first, second, and third out. Oh, albums, it, like it, it actually was. The, oh, they, man. Yeah, it kind of sucked because they played, from what I saw, uh, I, I hate the song title because it just sounds like people are always turned off by it, but it's a good song. They played People Equal Shit. They played um, <laughs> They played a song called Sick that's really good. Uh, it's like the first song on their first album, so it's, so. I mean, but then they closed with one that I wasn't maybe surfacing or something. I can't remember. They closed with something I wasn't that big of a fan of, but... Um, the first like third of the show, they they played a bunch of like newer stuff that I didn't even really. I mean, it's like yeah, I, it wasn't even on my radar. It's like songs I've heard before, but I was like, oh, but I only listened to that like once, and I'd kind of. Um, I just like like we talked about this last night. I, I I feel like Slipknot was at their best 
when they're recording, um, they didn't have enough money to make it like, it, they kind of had a quality of um, like an old, it was almost like there was a, a like you said, a, like a film grain on, on the record. Yeah, so uh, the conversation me and Peter were having was, we are talking about how uh, certain metal bands, especially newer metal bands that have big budgets, their music sounds so clean and perfect and yeah. sonically like so just like, sounds great, but it's almost like a cookie cutter type sound. It's like too good or something. Yeah. And so basically we're making the comparison that like the old Slipknot albums where I'm guessing they had kind of a limited budget or they did some things themselves. Yeah. It's really, it, technically speaking, I guess the quality of the recordings is worse, but because of the effect of having done themselves and you know it not being perfect it's kind of like the effect of having a really good film grain where yeah. like you could shoot something in 4k and put a film grain on it and be like this looks like it's from the 60s but it's like not really going to be the same thing as the yeah. real deal it's a really difficult like uh what's it called uh i'm thinking i'm thinking of a phrase it's like an android like an uncanny uh oh like an uncanny valley almost. Like you can get to an yeah. uncanny valley with recording your music too well where it sounds like No, 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 too no, no exactly. And and here's the funny thing. So like I have really gotten into Slipknot over the past few months and every time I go onto Spotify or YouTube or anything and I'm trying to find other music, other, I, I've tried to get into like a lot of other metal, but um, there's something, there's a lot of metal that I've heard that's come up on like playlists then it's very it just sounds almost like everything's electronic because it's that perfect and and, and i Dude, don't really a, a lot of that. metal bands uh they do use triggered samples for yeah. like their drums and stuff so. yeah you're right i mean you're not just hearing that that's that's actually real like you know collective soul uh maybe they sing that song uh shine let your light shine down Whoa. okay yeah that okay song. yeah so that song if you go back and listen to it it's totally a drum machine and they have a great drummer and they could have just played a drum track, but the reason they did it is because it was for like consistency. Yeah. Which if you're talking about like a really high dynamic, high volume style of music like metal, I bet consistency is kind of difficult to achieve in the studio. Like if one of your legs is weaker than the other or something, like yeah, maybe you do just want to like sample it and just put it in a drum machine and make it happen. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, cause a lot of the newer Slipknot albums, they sound really kind of perfect and in a bad way. Like it, it just sounds, it's like you're looking at an android and you're yeah. just like that's not a human yeah, yeah. no exactly i um i'm not a huge fan of even just like pop music that sounds way too perfect uh a great example of this i love white denim they're a great band but their first like three albums maybe are like they're kind of perfect to me because i, I believe they recorded several of them in like a trailer that they lived in and it was like um the quality of the recordings is like what we're talking about it sounded so like not perfect you could hear this tiny inconsistencies that made it sound cool and like it had like a certain it's like it, it really is a difference between like uh looking at like an old film photograph and then looking at like a digital you know photo and you're like the digital photo looks better but the film photograph just has like this quality that i can't get past that i love mm -hmm. yeah yeah there's i think there's there's a word i'm looking for here it's like uh like when a band records their own shit like regularly, it's more of a sentimental like piece of art. And when they get like a lot of help from a AAA studio, sometimes it can turn into more of like a commercialized product. And so the difference between sentimental and commercialized, it's there's another word for commercialized, but sentimental art is just something that like you just do and you don't expect anything out of it. So like 
if I was just chilling here and I made a wood carving because I carve wood every time I smoke cigarettes and I never sold it or anything, I just made it to make it, that's sentimental. So I, that's kind of where I was going. I was going to be like, you know, I feel like the first couple albums are a little more sentimental than the last two because yeah. they were, I guess, probably a little bit more involved in the recording process. Yeah. And well, they probably didn't expect as much out of it either, you know? Oh, absolutely. It's like once you achieve a little bit of success, you have a lot more skin in the game, but you also, it's like at that point you're like, I can't really turn back. Once you, when you're making those first few albums, you can kind of take your time. And you can take risks. Yeah. Because like, it doesn't matter if no one listens to it. You're like, well, no one knows who I am. It's the same thing with like comedians. A lot of comedians who are big actually will like fantasize sometimes about their like, I, I wish that I was back at the level of being a nobody because I could go to open mic, say, try a joke, and if it didn't work, um, and maybe even if it offended somebody or if it was just like a huge miss, everyone, people would forget about it because I'm a nobody. But then if you're a big name, you can't do that because people are going to record it or they're going to remember that, oh, he said that messed up thing. So it kind of, in a way, is really freeing to be um, a nobody. I mean, I know about yeah. it. You know what I'm saying. Like, uh, you never get a second chance to make a first impression. I feel like making a first impression in these kinds of things is also kind of a good chance to, like, to make a mistake or, like, formulate an identity that's not going to work out later for you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, you you really got to be careful what you do early and later in your career. Most artists don't really get better as they go along, in my opinion, which that's, like, that's a pretty, like, derp, 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 like silly opinion of mine but I, th I find it to be true like i usually like earlier albums and earlier movies from directors and earlier paintings from painters mm -hmm. and earlier books from authors and stuff like that I don't, there's something about being young that being young and inexperienced i guess that makes your work more sentimental absolutely which I think is kind of it, cool it's also more real i just i, I you know it's kind of a lot of people make fun of like country music because the only time that that artist really relates to being like blue collar or anything like that is when they're making like their first album like garth brooks these days can't write a song about being a working man because i'm like you haven't really done what most people consider work you know and i mean he he works hard i'm sure and he's a he's really successful and a great musician but at the same time right it's like jay-z's not selling crack anymore dude he's a business mogul like, yeah come on. but come on, which is a lot more responsibility but it's a lot more reward i mean he can you know, do whatever he wants these days, pretty much. But um, I think we'll probably, you know, uh, wrap this conversation up with just saying that uh, the Slipknot show was really, really surprisingly awesome. And when I say surprisingly, I enjoyed the recorded music, but I kind of expected one thing going to see the show. And then I was delivered something that was more nuanced and it kind of fit into my taste of things more because... I really love glitch art and like uh, psychedelic VHS colorful kind of stuff. A lot of the, visually speaking, a lot of what they prepared for their show was very colorful and it um, there were often visuals that took you like through space or through like fire and like a volcano and things like that. I mean, it, there was a lot of uh, also just color and, it, and a lot of, you know, fast glitches. So in general, Great show. I mean, I, I don't regret going. I, I yeah, I go. mean, go see Slipknot because we got these tickets for twenty bucks each, right? It was like a pretty good deal. Yeah, it was. I mean, they're running a lot of deals uh, through Ticketmaster, I think. So you can probably go for pretty cheap. Like, definitely go see Slipknot. Don't you know? Don't be afraid to bring the whole family. Nothing bad is going to happen to you there. It's like a yeah. pretty. It's a pretty family friendly environment. Like basically, I'm saying, go check out Slipknot, dude. Even if you don't like them, it'll be fun. Yeah, I promise.
Yeah. It was a good time. Well, thank you for, um, you know, sitting down and talking about Slipknot. Thanks for having <laughs> me.